Uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We'll probably be dealing primarily with just the first few verses, but I want to read the entirety of the chapter. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in tre the trespasses and sins in which... Uh, hold on. Yeah, okay. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in, his, in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, with, uh, seated us and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right. We are in our regeneration study. This is the third lesson. Today, um, John gave us an overview Sheldon talked about regeneration. Today we're going to talk about our need for regeneration. Why our need is greater than we could ever imagine. Um, when I was a kid, probably I was saved uh, in third grade. And I had a friend, a little friend. Uh, her name was Kara Draper. I grew up with her. She was a... Um, her grandmother was a very uh, influential woman in the church, and uh, she didn't come to church regularly, but she was sort of, her family were like friends of the church. They would come often, but not all the time. But she understood a bit about the Bible for her age, you know, but I don't think she was a believer yet. I had um, come to Christ at home in uh, my parents' living room floor, and uh, before I could even tell what had happened to me to anybody, when we went to school, we had a, the same class in third grade. She was going around to my teacher and all the students there and was telling everybody, Devin got saved, Devin got saved, Devin got saved. And I remember um, one of the uh, students, maybe even the teacher, I don't know, the question was, saved from what? And she said, well, church. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're little, you don't fully understand everything. And in innocence, she said that. But it is a pertinent question, uh, save from what? Um, we live in a society that um, some would call post-Christian now, but uh, you can go out in Tennessee and see the number of churches out and about. And you can tell that most, at least Tennesseans, a lot of people in the South, over the U.S. have some idea uh, that there is religion, um, that 
that it's good, um, that it's helpful for society even, or what have you. Um, the U.S., in other words, has had its brushes with Christianity. Um, but the question, safe from what, is one that seems to be a growing question, at least in my sphere of experience. What exactly are we safe from? Why do we need church? Why do we need the Bible? What, what exactly is the point to all of this? Why, are, um, why do we have a need? Like we do. Most people um, today, Christian or non, seem to stem from this philosophical viewpoint that we are basically good. That, hey, we're not perfect, but I'm not as bad as some people. I don't do this thing. I don't do that thing. I remember multiple times uh, when I was in the ministry and I was working with uh, my company, uh, some, a guy would get into the van know that I did preaching here and there. Um, and even without provocation would sometimes be like, um, you know, I'm, I, I believe in God. I'm not a bad guy. I mean, I'm like, well, uh, where do you go to church? I don't. Um, what do you believe about the Bible? I don't know. I just, I just believe God's out there. And, you know, I just, <laughs> well, why do you believe that? Well, I'm a, I'm a good person. You know, I don't, I don't drink a lot. I don't do drugs a lot or, yeah, I dr do drugs or drink sometimes, but, you know, um, no, I'm not married to my wife. You know, these, these sort of things, but I'm a basically good guy. Uh, and so you'd be trapped in the van with these, these folks on a one to two hour drive and you're, you're literally forced to have to have conversations. And whether I succeeded well in that or not, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I did my best then. And I'm sure you've had your experiences where, You've had those instances where you've had to kind of work through um, spontaneous evangelism that you didn't wake up for. You hadn't had your coffee yet. But we have a desperate need, don't we? And even now, even as believers, as we go through our life, sometimes we don't even grasp the, the fullness of what that spiritual reality is like. Because you and I are finite beings, right? We're we're fallible. We 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 can't peer into the spiritual realm and see all this stuff perfectly. We have God's revealed word. We have His Spirit dwelling in us. We just don't get everything, you know, by osmosis put right into us. All the knowledge when we get saved, God means for us to hear His gospel, to learn the word. Um. And to keep these things before us all the time and be reminded constantly so that we realize our need for us that are saved, so that we know what we've been saved from and the hope that we have, and so that we have a desire and care for the lost so that they can also have what we have and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, it's so easy to get caught up in just the day-to-day -day that we kind of lose sight of these realities. So I've, I actually taught out of this exact same passage and didn't realize what I was picking. So I'm going back through Ephesians again. <coughs> Last time I did Ephesians again. And it's wonderful because we need scripture day by day by day, the same scripture over and over and over and over so that we always are reminded of um, our Savior. We have a need. Um, 
When we, um, well, let, let me read uh, verses uh, 1 through 3 again. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Contrary to what we've just said <coughs> concerning our perception of ourselves, the reality of our lives, though we live and move and breathe and do life, is that somehow, in some way, we are dead. When Nicodemus was uh, going to see Jesus at night, we've already talked about that, I think. I've been listening along to the studies. I haven't been in here for this yet, but I've been listening along. Um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and uh, Nicodemus' uh, statement to Jesus is that uh, we see you, basically, and we know that you're sent from God. And this really smart guy, this leader, this well-educated uh, cream-of-the-crop man in uh, the Jewish community in Israel at the time comes to him and uh, as if Jesus needed any confirmation about who he was, as if he needed uh, Nicodemus's approval or accreditation, um, he tells him, we believe that you're from God. Jesus gets right past that and to the point says, Nicodemus, you don't see anything. Um, and tells him, you must be born again. And then we get that well-remembered uh, phrase, uh, how can I, uh, how can a man be born when he's old? Does he have to enter into his mother's womb a second time? Uh, how's that possible? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Truth of the matter is that ever since man first sinned against God, man as a people, a community, as a species, have all collectively been under sin. <coughs> and Romans 5, uh, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so dead, death spread to all men, because all sinned. So by one man's sin, Adam, death passed upon all of us. Adam, being our federal head, or the representative of all of us, had been given everything, had had free choice, he had the free will, to choose whether he wanted to continue in that garden to serve God and live a perfect life with his wife and procreate and work the land and um, enjoy the blessings of God or have this one thing that God was denying him. And in his sinfulness, he followed the, the lead of his wife and they took of that fruit, they ate. And so, boom, we all fell under, <laughs> even though we had not sinned after uh, the manner of Adam, 
representatively, we all fell under sin. So, so we have fallen into the state of sin, and Adam and Eve, as they produced children, produced more sinners. Their uh, lifespan was still very long, but limited. And as uh, history went on into the days of Noah, and, no and God had been grieved by Noah's sin, he shortened their lifespans and destroyed the majority of uh, humankind except for Noah and his family, who got saved on an ark. And from those people uh, on into present day, more and more sinners have been produced. So we have uh, this limited amount of time. We're born in this world. And as Psalm 51, 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We come into this world speaking lies, don't we? Knowing how to sin. Before we even walk, before we say our first word, we know how to sin. Sin is the uh, breaking of or transgression of God's law, isn't it? And it only takes one. So, Paul here in, the, in the Ephesians says that we were dead in trespasses and in sin. We are separated from God. We have no relationship with God. And not only does it say that we are dead in trespasses and sin, that we come forth speaking lies, that we um, continue in these. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Not only are we in sin, but we are against God and his word. To the sinful man, we see them as foolishness, as, as uh, silliness. We I don't know how to put it. Um, we, in essence, are really, um, I think, our own gods. We are idolatrous. We, we live in a society that, um, not to say that this spirit has never been there, perhaps because of social media and other um, ways of gaining information, it's just more apparent. We live in a society that values uh, what we might philosophically call selfism. Um, so that's we make ourselves like the be all and end all of uh, truth for all the rest of our experience around us, I guess. So when men sit in vans with you or women talk to you uh, in your places of work and they 
tell you that I'm basically a good person or that I have some alternate um, idea of what spirituality and religion looks like and, and discern that they're going to heaven based on who they are. They are um, making themselves the center of truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, so in our need for regenerations, we said that regeneration is a new birth or new life. And we are dead. We are not only dead, we're not just a dead thing that lays in a shallow grave with all the... Well, in one sense we are because the metaphors used in, uh, in like Ezekiel, Valley of Dry Bones, all that. But what I'm trying to get to is that we are also active participants in it. Because uh, he says here, you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. So the idea of a, of a walk often in the Bible is like a, is the, a pathway that has a beginning point, a journey, and a destination at the end. We, um, we are in this world walking in this dead state, participating actively in sinfulness. It's not just that um, it's all Adam's fault and nothing we can do. We are responsible for our sins, aren't we? We are morally responsible for our sins. We not only are responsible for our sins, we love it. It's really um, a hard thing for people, even ourselves, to really grasp what that's like. Because when we talk about goodness in humanity... We tend to take each other and weigh it by one another, right? So maybe you see someone that's a good person in uh, your workplace, your church, your community, and in your mind they become sort of a moral standard. And uh, when we hear, when men hear the gospel preached, a lot of times the 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 thing to do is to become one's own inner lawyer and defend oneself if you're not crushed by it. So you look at that, well, I'm, you hear the gospel preaching, you find that all of sin becomes short of the glory of God, that you are in desperate need of a savior, that you're lost and going to hell, which we'll mention in a minute. Um, I know when I was even my own little age, the part in the weeks leading up to it, I sat there under the preaching of my pastor and um, thought, well, I'm a good little boy. I obey my parents most of the time. I, uh, I don't back talk. I don't say bad words. Um, I'm pretty okay in school. And then as the weeks progressed, you would find out, you would realize through the Holy Spirit's work, well, no, I'm not. Because the thing about goodness is we're not talking about a goodness that comes from man. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? We're talking about God's goodness in comparison to us. And if man can ever have their eyes open to the truth of God and see how good God is, like holy other, completely different, completely unique, perfect in every way, and then to see ourselves 
in light of that, that is crushing, isn't it? Um, so we either, as people, um, well, men either see and are broken by that or they justify themselves by that. And they walk in their sins through the course of this world rebelliously against God. Um, everything we do apart from God is somehow marred by sin, whether it is by our own actions and deeds or just the very state we live in. We, we are completely affected by it. So we, we are born in this world um, Come forth speaking lies. We are sinners from the very beginning and we continue in sin throughout our life. And um, what we're really talking about here is the um, idea that we are totally or radically depraved. We have a complete inability to come to God. When you talk to a lot of people, um, in hearing this, well, I, I, I preached a revival one time, a long time ago, and uh, and I'll, I'll spare you the details of what came out of that. I ended up not finishing the revival. Um, given the context of the way, like, they, they, they encouraged people to repentance there. I've told you before, there was a bench. They encouraged people to come up and pray at the bench, and they would stay all night, pray alongside them, encourage them to pray. And then sometimes people come up saved and sometimes they'd go home. Um, in the course of this revival, I had said basically the phrase that apart from Christ, we can do no good. And that made a lot of people angry. There was a, a certain amount of tension in the church. And I came back in and was basically on somewhat of a mini trial by the church I barely knew. And the, 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 the pastor and several of the members said, my concern is that you said we could do no good. And I lived in the context of churches where they would say, yes, we are utterly depraved, radically depraved. But really, the truth of a lot of people and a lot of even Christians, professing Christians, is that the belief is that we are partially depraved. We'll talk about Order Salutis later in the series, or the Order of Salvation, and I'll probably cover that more then. But um, so many people think that in our own ability, we get so far. And then when we are have made ourselves so pleasing, then God says, okay, that'll do and takes us the rest of the way. And that is not the case. We have no ability whatsoever to please God because God is perfect and God must have a perfect sacrifice, right? Once you're imperfect, you can't provide that anymore. Furthermore, we are enslaved to sin. Well, actually, let me read this first. Um, Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Does someone want to get that? Because I've been up here talking so much. I have it here if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Now this I say, testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Hmm. Okay, so talking about the walk before I go on to spiritual enslavement briefly. Uh, in talking to uh, Ephesus, he tells them about the character of the Gentiles and tells them, don't walk any longer in this way. Um, and as a side note, you know, we are under grace and it is good to like find commonality in the fact that we're sinners with others. Um, in talking about this subject before I go further and talking about radical total depravity, I talk about our sinfulness, our deadness. It could be easy to take a subject like this and say, and use it as a, a means to um, subject yourself to a personal flogging because you're a sinner, right? Or take the opposite end and look at others and say what sinners they are. Um, understanding our sinfulness, really, and our need for a Savior, if anything, should, first of all, make us feel thankful and grateful that we're in Christ and to cause us to worship Him and to understand that, yes, though we should abhor sin, we should be sympathetic to the sinner or, or care for the sinner and realize that, but for the grace of God, we are all in the same boat. We are all equally in need of the new birth or were, for those of us who are saved, in as much need for the new birth. Um, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So no longer live, in other words, this the same lifestyle as the Gentiles do. Grace should never be an excuse for sin. We should never walk as the Gentiles do. We should be gracious to sinners, but we should also follow after Christ and do the things of Christ, right? He says, no longer walk as they do. Those that are in need of the Savior walk simply in the futility of their minds. Their minds are, as it says, darkened in their understanding. And the thing is, though they be darkened, they have no excuse, right? Um, because, I mean, Romans tells us in the first chapter that um, we can see all of this uh, creation around us and we have every evidence available, even without the Bible, that God is there and real. But yet they darken their mind in their understanding and are, they alienate themselves because of their ignorance. Now imagine... You're the most learned Jewish man in your, in your uh, nation at the time, and you go to Jesus, and you have every bit of knowledge um, about the Bible up to that point or the Old Testament. And, and in spite of all your knowledge, Jesus tells you you don't understand a thing. That's how men are. I had a friend uh, that prided himself on being an atheist and he was he told himself he told me rather that he was so proud that he could um 
had learned the Bible and was capable of refuting any Christian on the subject. And I feel sad for him and pray for him because uh, his, his mind is darkened, right? <clears throat> to have the word of God right in front of you and yet not know God. Lost my place. Um, all right. Um, not only are their minds darkened in their understanding, not only are they ig willfully ignorant or they don't know, and the reason for that ignorance is because of the hardness of their heart. Um, John's talked about the hardness of heart of the heart that um, we have a heart of stone that can neither feel nor receive the word of God because they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Um, so our minds, our hearts are darkened apart from Christ. We willfully participate in sin and it says that men practice every kind of sin. Uh, moving on. Among, uh, let's see here. Um, it tells us here that we follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at the, in the sons of obedience. So not only is our spirit one of uh, wickedness and uh, sinfulness, one that is uh, dark in understanding and, um, and one that practices every kind of wrongdoing, um, it is of the devil, isn't it? John 8 and 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's de desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Um, we are enslaved by sin and by Satan, apart from Christ. Uh As we, apart from Christ, move through this world, this walk, as is described so much in the Bible, um, we have, if we never come to Christ, there is a destination in there. We have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the, the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God condemns us. He is the righteous judge, isn't he? Um, he declares us guilty and dooms us to punishment. Because God, though he's a God that is good, God of love, mercy, he's also a God of wrath, and judgment, isn't he? Um, 
God can't look on sin. It is an offense to him. And those who continue in sin and continue to sin against him, every sin is a sin against God. Um, he will have justice over. Because he um, intensely hates all sin. John 3, 18. Um, someone get that. And someone else gets Psalm 7, 11 through 13. All right, anyone got uh, 318? Got it. Okay. Go ahead. Whoever believes in him, he's not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already mm -hmm. if he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. All right, Psalm 7, 11 through 13. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Yes. All right. So God is a, a righteous judge. And if, you're, if someone isn't a believer, they're already condemned, aren't they? They, they already have God's wrath waiting them in turn in the future um because he has not believed and god is righteous and do so he's a righteous judge and if a man does not repent god will wet his sword there is no no maybe about it um god will absolutely punish sin um he has his bow drawn and ready to shoot down those who oppose him and he has prepared deadly weapons. Doesn't sound like a good time, does it? Let me uh, read uh, Romans 3, 9 through 20. Um, well, I'd have to look it up first. Hold on. A little phone Bible is not cooperating with me. Here we go. What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They're, they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, now we know that whatever the law says, 
It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So in talking about this, my pastor used to say a lot of times with evangelistic passages that use the word all, that all meant all. Well, I want to say here that none means none. None are righteous. None are upright in the sight of God apart from God. No one has understanding and no one seeks for God. So apart from God, um, no one goes after God. Our wills are so tainted that it pursues sin only. And we can't in our own capacity seek after him. All of us have turned away from him and are worthless without him. You'll remember the verse that says, um, it's not what goes into the heart, that the, uh, into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. Whenever he's talking here in the 13 and he says, their throat is an open grave. Uh, their tongues are ready to deceive. The venom of asps in all is on their lips. All this stuff that these parts that are engaged in, in the voice, the mouth, the speaking, all this poison, death, and, and evil that comes out speaks to what is in our hard, rotten hearts. And he says that our feet are swift to shed blood. So we, we have curses, bitterness, evil coming front earth from our very heart, and we are quick to do so, aren't we? And none of us, because of this wretchedness, can hope to do the law of God, can hope to please God whatsoever. Second Thessalonians, this is my last chunk of scripture and I'm running out of time. says this uh, says uh, in Second Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are apart from Christ awaiting God's vengeance. And he is just to repay. You'll hear all sorts of, if you delve into philosophy or, or uh, maybe um, critiques of different kinds of religious beliefs. How can uh, God be good and just to do this and that and the other when there's so much suffering in the world? And all of these horrible things. And one of the things that people fail to realize is that we are responsible for all of this misery. So responsible it affected all of humankind, all of the earth, every living thing, plant, animal. Sin has affected us all. We are unable to do anything about it. And we are in desperate need to come out of this dead lifeless, zombie-like, spiritually zombie-like existence 
and uh, be made alive again by Jesus Christ. We are born into this world in sin. We move through the course of this life sinfully and think ourselves good in doing so. And we walk apart from Christ right off the cliff into the pits of hell for eternal punishment. Let me, let me read this uh, from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, that we, This is the book we're using as our basis. Man by his fall into an estate of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to do any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself Thereunto, better than I could say on my own strength. Um, I am thankful for a God that sent his son into human existence to live a perfect life on our behalf. And maybe I'm jumping ahead right now. Die for us after living that perfect life, becoming a perfect sacrifice us and conquering death and the grave being resurrected up and interceding for us on our behalf. I'm thankful that God saves and saves to the uttermost, doesn't he? And uh, he takes this rotten thing whose nature is to do wickedness only and he takes the righteousness, the alien righteousness of his dear, perfect, wonderful, lovely son and covers us with it so that we have no boasting. We can only rejoice in Christ and look back on the horrid futility of our former state and rejoice in what we now have. And I hope that's what we uh, continue to do as we go forth in this study, as we see these things, these words in the Bible repeated for us every Sunday, whether in here or in service, we take them to our heart and we rejoice in them and worship our Savior for what he's done and tell others about it. Anything on anyone's mind or heart for you to uh, miss? Uh, earlier you were saying something about the essence of sin being, or how anything done apart from God is marred by sin. Mm. And I agree with that. I just want to also maybe propose that the fact that it's done apart from God itself makes it sin. Sure. And yep. I think that's why the Bible says that the righteous works are filthy rags. Yep. Anyone else? All right, well, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, uh, we thank you for your written word. we thankful for the things said therein, for its truth. For your um, Holy Spirit, which makes it um, alive in our hearts, Lord, we uh, thank, are thankful that we uh, know your Son, and we are thankful for the many blessings that we receive as a result of everything he's done for us. We thank God that you are who you are, that you are worthy of all acceptation and praise. We thank you for this life we get to live. We pray that you would help us every day to grow closer to you, to know you more, 
to rejoice in you more. Lord, we know we can never do everything perfectly, but now because your spirit indwells us, you empower us to go forth and do good works um, in our weakness with the, on the reliance of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, we pray that you would help us to do good today in worship to give you the praise you deserve. For us in Jesus' name, pray, amen.